Good morning, good evening, good afternoon, everybody out there in podcast land. You are in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza, and as always, I am super excited. I'm really excited to speak with our guest today. She is a certified professional tarot reader. She's a certified psychic, a trained medium, and an ordained minister. And those that know me know that I really love listening or reading and meeting Robert Schwartz through his series, Your Soul's Plan and Your Soul's Gift. She was actually showcased, her work was showcased in his series, and she was highlighting her ability to retrieve clients' past lives in details. She has over 40 years experience, and her abilities include spiritual and intuitive counseling, past life retrieval and analysis, mediumship and spirit guide conferences, including speaking with one soul. She does this all over the U.S. and Canada. And after this COVID-19 is lifted, she'll also go back to one-on-one sessions with clients worldwide. She's also, also the author of Clean Out Your Life Closet and the Psychic Yellow Brick Road. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome Corby Mitlide to the podcast. Welcome, Corby. Lovely to be here. Talking to anybody that doesn't live with me is a treat these days. <laughs> a little cabin fever, maybe? Oh, just a schnut, yeah. <laughs> well, one thing that you don't know before we get started is that we are somewhat, I guess, in other times, we would have been neighbors. I went to Delran High School for the first two years, and I know that is near Cherry Hill. Where are you from? It is, though I am up in upstate New York now. Uh, Schoharie County is 32,000 people and a bunch of cows and sheep. And for a girl who grew up in Cherry Hill, trust me, it's a different planet. Oh, well, you know what? I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, and it is definitely a different planet down here from New Jersey. to live in Mayretta, and I can still give directions from the Big Chicken. Oh, <laughs> I live 20 minutes from the Big Chicken. Well, who knew? Anybody who's <laughs> listening, if you ever go to the greater Atlanta area, there is a KFC there that has a 100-foot KFC chicken on its building, and the beak moves and the eyes rolls around. And so everybody in that area always gives driving directions about where it is from the big chicken. That's how you know if somebody really lived in Atlanta. Absolutely. And Corby, you weren't talking about a friend of mine named May Retta. I think the the pronunciation <laughs> the pronunciation I, is Marietta, but people here say May Retta. That's right. They do. They do. They do. <laughs> so glad to have you on. Tiny world. The tiny yes. world. Yes, yes. Actually, I do have to ask you, since you do know about Mayretta, are you familiar with the metaphysical mile here in Atlanta? I don't know that it was a metaphysical mile then. I do know that one of my favorite hangouts was Phoenix and the Dragon. If uh-huh. that is still- yes, it is. And that was actually the part of it. And right next Next, there, next to Phoenix and Dragon Bookstore was a school called Horizon Center for Intuitive Awareness, and I actually graduate. I'm a graduate of 2010, and that is along those lines of Roswell Road in Sandy Springs, which is part of the Metaphysical Mile. Uh, that's the biggest thing that I miss about Atlanta. It had such a vibrant spiritual community, even in the 90s when I lived there. Yes, yes. Uh, we had a, a teacher, uh, Horizon, or you, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Horizon Center, but uh, the, the director, the owner of Horizon Center was a graduate from Berkeley Psychic Institute in California. Wow. And they, so we had some teachers that were coming from Berkeley, and they had moved to, I want to say Carrollton or something. And it wasn't in a metaphysical mile, so within the next month, they moved closer to <laughs> Phoenix and Dragon so they could be in the energy. Get, get to the business center, you bet. So, <laughs> oh, that's good memories. Thank you for those. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, I guess my first question is, it was the first of four, so did you have any, did you partake in any festivities last night for this pink supermoon? No, unfortunately, um, we had lots of clouds, and so we couldn't see a darn thing. 
Um, I did work with a friend of mine on doing some protection stuff for the environs, for the coronavirus. But that's about all we could do. The rest of it was just gray and rain. Uh, uh, well, we have three more, so <laughs> you'll definitely get your chance. Right. <laughs> uh, well, since you, you, you were on the Breakthrough Series with Your Soul's Plan, I guess I want to start there, Robert Schwartz. Uh, could you, just for the audience aspect, could you talk about Your Soul's Plan and then talk about uh, how that goes into uh, what you provide as far as past lives and its relationship to Our Soul's Plan? Oh, Sure. The thing that I explain to people is everybody has this mistaken idea. Karma is carrot and stick. It's good karma and bad karma. Wow, that person had cancer. She must have been bad. No. Karma is actually five things. It's unbalanced energy, which is a neutral, healing, service, contrast. You want to learn about abundance. You have to be both rich and poor in different lives and healing of beliefs. When you understand that, then you can recognize that sometimes the challenges that people have are pre-planned and they serve a great purpose. Um, One of the examples that I use, um, uh, there was a little boy, I think, the turn of the 21st century, his name was Matty Stepanek. And uh, he wrote some beautiful, beautiful poetry. He was on Oprah. He was obviously um, way, way beyond his years and his body. He died very young. People would say why. Perhaps because he did that as service, because concentrating that brilliant mind and giving heart in a few years when he was young made more of an impression than if he had lived until he was 85. And these things don't get done to us. We determine these in the pre-birth planning session that we have with our guides before we get here. Uh Um, In the Soul's Plan and the book Your Soul's Gift, which was the second, there are only two of us that were in both of them for Rob. And one of them was my dear friend and colleague, Stacey Wells, and I introduced her to Rob and me. And we are, I believe, the only two who are still doing active work as we did in the books for clients. Stacy is what I call the brilliant technical surgeon. She is the only person in the world that sees the actual pre-birth planning session, can tell you what's going on, dialogue if she receives it. Um, my purpose was always what I call the priest-inspirer storyteller. Past lives have been a passion for mine for a long time. So I'm the one that pulls them down for you in detail. I also found that I have a talent for channeling your own soul, your higher self for you to talk to. Because remember, we're, we'll use the example of Matt Smith. Matt isn't really the 11th doctor for Doctor Who. He's Matt Smith, but he took on that role. So your higher self takes on the role of who you are in this lifetime. My higher self took on the role of Corby Mitlod. And as the inspirer and storyteller, once we figure out the past lives that are affecting your major life challenge this time, we work together, you and I, to see how you can move forward stronger, better, brighter, and make use of what you've learned. So I guess the first question that's really timely is, is there alcohol on the other side? Because apparently we all had a universal global contract to all exist during this time. And when we were drinking, we didn't think it would show up in this iteration. No, believe it or not, one of the things I always understand from discarnates when I talk to them is they miss food and drink. You don't have a body, you don't need them. Mm -hmm. But if coming out of what I call the big bug adventure, we get more equity in how people live. Um, Health care is better in the United States. We are more aware of how attached we are with each other. We are kinder and better to the earth when we see how with lockdown pollution has gone down and the animals have come back into um, the green areas. If that's the wake-up call we needed, that's the wake-up call we needed. And 
better we should come down to deal with this than people who would merely run scared and use nuclear bombs. If you're here and you've got a light upstairs, it doesn't help for you to go, oh, poor me, I'm too scared. Do I want to get coronavirus? Hell no, I'm 65. I'm high risk. But at the same time, I know that my being down here, as long as I'm sensible, do the social distancing, I am still available to my clients. I help them stay steady. I work with them uh, with what has always been my sentence of passion, cross the bridge from fear to fearlessness and fly. Don't be afraid of this. Look at what comes afterwards and how can we make things better. I was going to ask if you're getting different questions where the stereotype is, will I meet my dream soulmate? And I'm sure you may get it in a different context now because of a sense of a perceived sense of urgency. Yeah. Oh, please. Uh, You know, I have to tell you, I've been reading since Moses was in diapers and still the vast majority of my readings is just Bruce loves me. Oh God. (laughs) I can't tell you, Petunia. If Bruce loves you or you're going to get the interview in two weeks or what your finances are going to be in a month, because the world ain't working that way right now. Mm. On the other hand, if you want to work on your own spiritual growth, if you want to find out why you were here, if you want to work on things that will help make a better life for you when this is over, and it will be over, this is not the rest of our lives, then that's the kind of stuff that is really very appropriate for now. Uh, Interestingly, I'm getting an awful lot of people who are booking in for what I call the sentence of passion consultation so that they know how to hit the ground running and make their life worth something Mm -hmm. when this is over. And I love that. Absolutely. And I think that with grace, that it have everything's on time but it may happen faster because you're ready and you're more in sync. Is that why they're doing the bookings now? Um, when you're ready, the teacher appears. Could be. And, you know, when people are on lockdown and they're not working, they have to look at themselves in the mirror. They have to look at the things they always pushed aside because there was always work to do and soccer practice and you know, going to the gym and all the things we fill our lives with so we're not with ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right now, none of that's on the table. So we're looking in the mirror and going, who the heck are you? Mm-hmm. And do I like you? And do I want to spend the rest of my life with you? Or do I want us to change? So going to the movies is kind of a double-edged, not physically going to the movies since they're closed, but mm-hmm. before a movie starts, it always says that silence is golden. And you said we're so busy that we were afraid of that silence that we now have to face. Yes. It's one of the reasons people panic when they have nothing to do. Part of it is guilty because, oh, I'm supposed to be working all the time. And one, one of the memes that's going around is if you don't do this and this and this and this, Obviously, it wasn't you didn't have time, you didn't have the drive. No. Stop giving yourself different things to beat yourself up with right now. How about liking the person you're going to have to live with for the rest of your life? How about finding out, am I the same person I was when I was 36 now that I'm 65 or not? And who do I want to be for the next 15, 20 years I've got? Mm -hmm. When you say that, I mean, especially when we're in the middle of it, it sounds phenomenal, Corby, I have to tell you. But I have to ask of correlation. So if the, so, in 2020, I would say this is the uh, maybe third or fourth major uh, upheaval. So the first in the last 20 years was 9-11. I remember the 9-11 babies. I remember a lot of kumbaya, no honking horns if you live in New York or Atlanta. But... Six weeks later, we kind of went back to the status quo. Uh, Do you feel that this time will be different? This time has to be different because there is not one country in the world that doesn't have the virus where people are not dying. So 9-11, if you lived in Montana, you could look at it and say, geez, look at New York. You could look in, you know, you could be in London and go, you know, oh, my God, look what happened to the United States. There is no escaping 
coronavirus, just like there's no escaping the Black Plague. There was no escaping the Spanish flu in 1918. These are things that touch everybody, whether you get it yourself, whether you know people with it, whether you simply see the horrific images on television. Mm -hmm. And it's not like the Vietnam War where I'm never going to go to Vietnam. The virus comes to you. And so do you want to be living in fear of this for the rest of your life? Or do we all, as a country, as a world, realize things must change? Because, look, Mother Nature is an organism. So are we. When we get sick, we send in antibodies to kill the virus and the inflammation, right? Mm -hmm. Well, look at everything we've done to the earth, how much we have botched it. Mm -hmm. Who's to say that coronavirus is not Mother Nature's version of an antibiotic? Mm -hmm. And we're the cockroaches. We're the illness. If we don't want this to keep coming back harder and faster, this is our wake-up call. We, as I saw on a meme, and this is true, we're Mother Nature's guests. We don't own her. Manifest Destiny is so 19th century. Put it away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that is what's what's really surreal with seeing the water. You can actually see the, through the water again and seeing mm-hmm. the animals, like you mentioned, come back out when we're gone so that, I think that's one of those realizations that we are guests and life goes on even if we weren't around. Yes, exactly. And we have concrete evidence of that now. Mm. Yeah, and that kind of brings me back, brings me to my next point. Uh, I did talk about 9-11 briefly. Uh, the other one that comes to mind is 2012. And we had, uh, we had uh, speak, what's his name? Jim Self was on, on the podcast not too long ago. And he was, are you familiar with, with Jim Self at all? A little bit, but I would listen if you told me a little more. Sure, no problem. Um, so anyway, he was talking about uh, years, and he was saying that 2012. You know, a lot of people, were, a lot of people in, in 2012 kind of compared it to Y2K. Like, oh, there's all this fear, and then 2000 came, and there's no big change. And then a lot of people were, oh, it's the end of the Mayan calendar. And then on the surface, it felt like nothing changed. However, there was a lot of individual change, at least for people that, that I've spoken with in the past couple of years on the podcast. And so Jim Self was saying that, yes, there was a change in 2012. And if we look at that at the beginning, 2020 is actually year eight. And so in 2012, a lot of people um, had some upheaval. But then they came into this type of world where they were learning about, oh, I, there's other things outside of what I see with my own two eyes. And so there were a lot of people that were um, not trained or just had a natural talent, but they were getting into situations that they couldn't control. So mm-hmm. I guess I, I want to back up with you as far as um, what do you feel as far as the spiritual reset now and that it's going to open up other portals and different people, but they may be opening doors that either they have no knowledge about or could ultimately harm them. Well, if you're going to say that this is a year eight, then what is 2021 but year nine? Our lives go in nine-year cycles, and a nine-year is what I call the celestial garage sale. You get rid of everything in your life that's busted that you'll never fix, You've outgrown and was never you in the first place. That bad dogs, bad haircuts, bad jobs, goodbye. Now, New Year's Eve of a nine-year, God takes your etch-a-sketch and clears it. So that means that 2022 is a one-year. Now, what are they saying? It would probably take until the end of 2021 to make sure that we have a vaccine and this is handled. So this makes perfect sense that... You know, this year also, if you look at the actual master number, 2 plus 0 plus 2 plus 0 is 4. It's a 4 year. 4 and 8 are foundational years. Next year is a 5 year. Tanks are rolling. Take no prisoners. Yahoo, fella, go for the gusto. Take your risk. The key to a 5 year is reach, stretch, and explore and make change. If you try to stick to routine, you're like the little kid with a foot nail to the floor who does not understand why the scenery isn't changing no matter how fast you run. 
So whether this is an eight-year or a four-year, it all plays out well. Next year, at the end of next year, we should be done with all of this hoorah. Can you learn what you need to learn so that when the calendar hits 2022, you are ready to take on this fresh world? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's a really good perception, uh, and I appreciate that. It, it is that, that celestial garage sale, as you said, uh, next year. It's a endings mm-hmm. and completions for sure. And so uh, what about the, the talk or, uh, of fear? in that uh, fear is a food. Well, well, first of all, fear actually lowers your vibration, but mm-hmm. it's also a food for those that feed off of fear. And yeah. so this is a, a <laughs> right? There's a feeding frenzy that's going on now, and it's, if you're in the middle of it, it's hard to actually see outside of it. What are some ways to experience the contract to shake loose from that? Well, <clears throat> I just... Um, did a short video on my YouTube channel. It's called Fear Versus Fame. Um, back in the 1980s when I did Mary Kay Cosmetics, yes, back in the big hair days. I, <laughs> um, Mary Kay used to say, fear equals false evidence appearing real. Yes. But I decided there had to be something else. So I chose the word fame. Full acceptance means everything. Mm. So you want to be fearful or famous. Full acceptance means we are in the middle of this coronavirus pandemic. Hot damn, what am I going to do with it? Instead of, oh, my God, you know, I'm so scared. It's going to come creeping in under the door like, you know, a tick. No, it's not. You know what to do. Social distance, wash your hands. But what do you want to do when it's over? Famous is also now, if you are not high risk, helping those who are, Famous is sharing all the stuff that you bought and hoarded. Famous is keeping in touch with people that might need that. Uh, my, my closest friends here um, are on Sapwish Hall Farms, and their kids are reaching out in the community to people who live alone, people who are older, mm-hmm. and making sure that they have a phone call with them a couple of times a week just to touch base, How are you? What do you need? Those kids are being a perfect example of how to live in fame. They accept that this is where it goes, but they are not paralyzed by it. How can we make a difference? Sapbush is working to do an online grocery store, and they fixed it so you can pick it up, self-serve. They're not just saying, oh, my God, we can't open our cafe. Oh, my God, we can't run the farm for people. They found another way around it. They fully accepted it and said, what does it mean for us here? So that's what I would say to everybody listening. Be famous. Accept that we are in the middle of the maelstrom, but it doesn't mean that you have to hide under your table. Figure out who you're going to be within it because that will make you stronger, better, wiser, and more equipped for what comes after. I like the FAME acronym, and when we're talking about FAMOUS, if it weren't today or what we're going through now, it would be synonymous to social media and social media FAME. And before this all happened, there, were, there was a lot of isolation. I mean, people's lives were on electronic media, you know, and so this is the first time maybe for some generations to actually unplug. And so – what would you say to someone, yeah, I know I, I, these are some things I need to do, but I really don't even have that muscle. When you say you don't have that muscle, what muscle do you not have that I'm speaking to? Yeah, I would think that uh, from an atrophy, well, not even atrophy. I mean, I've never used, I never had to care about, all I had to care about was likes, likes and shares. If something wasn't going right, then I would change my message but I didn't have to leave my house and I didn't have to videotape it. And now okay. you're using the fame in a great example, but uh, to some people that may sound very foreign. Well, you know, you can like chocolate. And so you probably eat more than you should. But if you were locked in a room for two months and all you could eat was chocolate, trust me, you would want 
broccoli. Yes. <laughs> um, and that's what this is. You may love social media. I mean, you know, people are saying it's the introvert's holiday. But at the same time, you will realize that being able to see someone up close, see who's really behind their eyes, feel what it's like to sit on a park bench with another person, you, you miss that. And so if forcing you to eat chocolate for two months gets you outside and to meet other people, well, it's a little harsh, but it'll work. <laughs> That's really funny. Uh, I, I want to go back a little bit, and you were talking about uh, past lives and, and contracts and pulling down past lives. Mm-hmm. And I, um, I'm familiar with certain stories about, uh, like Prince, let's use the artist Prince, that mm-hmm. he was channeling Jimi Hendrix. You know, Hendrix used uh, Prince as an opportunity to kind of get, learn from, you know, things that were unfulfilled in his life. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that something that can actually be done now? Like we could reach back into the scientists of what they learned during the pandemic of 1918 and it may be things that we haven't considered, but it may be an opportunity to reach into other realms and because I believe there's always assistance, but we have to ask for it. That is a possibility. Um, certainly not anything that I can just, you know, flip a switch like a rotary engine and do it right now. But the key is when you reach back, you need to have, uh, if you will, an anchor point. Mm-hmm. Going back, we have uh, coronavirus. What do they do for the flu? That makes sense. It's the people that uh, come to me and say, well, what were my past lives? That I, I don't do because you've had hundreds. Nobody is smart mm-hmm. enough to get it done in one or two. And I could take a past life from 1642 Switzerland. That was absolutely accurate. And if you had no touch point in this life, you'd look at me and go, yes, yeah, so. Why should I believe? But when I do a soul plane reading, you come to me with a challenge, whether it is parenting handicapped children, abandonment issues, alcoholism, accidents, um, you know, death of a loved one. Then that is kind of my library card going up to the Akashic, and I go and I pull a book and I say, read chapter two. Um, it's important, actually, that your listeners know the difference between past life regression and past life retrieval. When you get past life regression, you must only have it done with a certified hypnotherapist or past life specialist because if you, that's when you get hypnotized, you go into the Akashic, you see your past lives, you relive them. If there is a murder or a gang rape or something really traumatic, you want someone that will help you pull out of the emotion so that you can watch it, you can understand it, but you're not literally reliving it. What I do is retrieval. If you say to me, why am I always panicked when I have wet hair in my face? I'm the one who goes up to the Akashic, pulls down the book, and says, read chapter two. It's as valid for getting you the information, but the untrained person doesn't have to relive it. So in that sense, it's safer. Is that making sense? It makes a ton of sense. It's kind of... So does it, is it like training wheels where they may start out uh, as a past life retrieval and say, oh, that's great, I want to know more, I want to get into a past life regression? That is possible, yes. Um, the other thing is when you are a past life specialist like I am, it's because the universe sees you had, it's, it's like I want to make a cake, do I have all the ingredients? Um, I am a trained actress, professional actress, theater major at Brown, acted in New York in the 80s and 90s. I am an author and a storyteller, and I adore history. Um, My husband and I met at a place called the Rhinebeck Aerodrome in Rhinebeck, New York. It is a flying museum. They have 1909 Blerios to barnstormers. And as he says, there was this gorgeous brunette who knew the difference between a Fokker DR1 and an F1 based on the wing skids. Had to marry her. So there you are. So when someone else gives you a life, they may say to you, you were female in this life, and it's a long skirt and a big hat, so I know it's old-fashioned. 
because of my background, I can go into it and say, all right, I see you're female. You're wearing a hobble skirt. You're wearing what's called a merry widow hat with that kind of an ostrich feather. We're talking 1911 or 1912. Which one's going to get you more information into where you need to go? Obviously, the one with more detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, absolutely. With um, I'm a big fan of old music or older music, and mm-hmm. I believe that that records have have a better fuller sound. Um, the way I kind of look at it is records have a full sound where CDs have a crisper sound. Yeah. And so if we're looking back or using the record analogy, we can say the, the out, this album has three songs. And, and the, the second song is our current life. And the first song it was the past life retrieval. Do you also go into the third song, which is the future life retrieval? Uh, no, for the simple reason that it's not set yet. Remember, there are, you could go 14 different places. Um, so you may have 14 possible futures for a life. When I go back into a past life, there is a direct thread that contacts what you're dealing with now from then. And sometimes it's more than one life. So Besides, people always want to know the future. It's why they're fortune tellers. But remember that we came down here to learn free will. One of the things I always talk about with Rob is how can you say that we had pre-birth planning and free will? And I'll use the example of college. Fine. All right. You're, you know, Philly, you went to Drexel and you decided to be an engineer at Drexel. Well, that's your pre-birth plan. You can then take either gut courses or double major plus lab. That's your free will. Either way, you're going to graduate with the engineering degree. But what it takes to get there will be up to you. That's as clear as I can make it between pre-birth planning and free will. Mm, Gotcha. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. And so that also leads to uh, your two books because you have – uh, clean out your life closet, and I'm believing you may have been drawing from some of that book when we're talking about what we can do today and, and going forward with uh, what's happening now with COVID-19. Uh, can you tell us a little bit more about cleaning out your life closet? Okay. Um, there's not one person out there who hasn't bought at least one self-help book in their life, and it's got a cool cover and a sexy title and they flip through in Barnes and Noble and they read two pages and say, wow, this looks good. And then you get it home and you start reading and it's like, who the heck is this? And no, I'm not going to go vegan and go yoga three days a week. What's she talking about? Those on the shelf. So my book is about four things that people really need to deal with. Clarity, adaptability, simplicity, and making friends with stress. But at no time do I say, do it my way and it all gets better. Instead, I say, here's some stupid things I did. Here are a couple stories about clients. Here's some things you might want to look at. But at the end of each chapter, you have open-ended questions where you can take your life and answer those questions based on what you read in my book. So at the end of the book, if you've done all those questions, it's your personal manual. It's not what everybody would read. Mm-hmm. And just to give you some examples of the kinds of questions, there's a chapter called Why Perfect Isn't What You Think It Is. Has perfect been a friend or foe in your life? Why? When did the search for perfection stop you from doing something important? How did it? Think of a challenging situation and find three perfect things about it. How do your feelings about the situation change? Notice there's no right or wrong answer. There's no key in the back of the book. But it invites you just as we are doing now with lockdown, to look at your life and be what I call the happy Martian detective, coming in with absolutely no preconceived notion, but wanting to look at it and see what it means. Um, And uh, there will be two other books after that. That was the first one. But a lot of what clients come to me for whether it's with tarot readings or past lives or spirit guides or angels or talking to their dead Aunt Mabel, a lot of it is self-help. How can I get through this? What do I do? It's not always your typical 
you know, what I call a Madam Hoo-Ha or Swami Swalanda. So that's where that book came from. Gotcha. And the feedback's been good because if I can teach people they have their own answers, that they can trust themselves, nothing's wrong with them, and nothing ever was, mm. good Lord, people get a better life out of it because they're not always looking outside for a stranger to fix it. They know that they are in their own power. And so is that when they get your first reading, uh, you, you let them read your, that book as well? Because I'm wondering, uh, other people that I've spoken with, and just in my limited experience, uh, you get hangers on and you may get one reading, which they try to turn into 30 readings over time, and they're always looking at you for the answer. Well, that uh, comes up with a question, you know, how often should I get a reading? And there is no exact answer. Let's say you said, all right, I'm going to open up uh, a, a vinyl store, okay? And I could give you my full entrepreneur's reading, which has you, the energy around the business, the brick-and-mortar location, how to market it, clients, competition, staff, finances, what you need to know and best possible outcome. You could come back to me in six weeks and say, great, I did everything you said, and now things have shifted, and now what do we do? I'm great. I will do another reading for you. Sure. But if you, even if you only come to me once a year, and you always come to me with the same questions, and I give you the same answers that you're obviously not listening to, after time number three, I'm like a good bartender. I cut you off. You're wasting your money. Mm. That strikes a chord, uh, being in New Jersey and being an Eagles fan, <laughs> the bartender has to cut you off. <laughs> I-G-G-L-E-S, you know better. <laughs> that is too funny. Um, so the other part of that, and I really love that, why perfect isn't what you think it is. And the question is, um, it's probably, it's more of a, how do I stay present? Because the year is 2020, we say 2020 vision, it's always great. And we get 2020 vision when we look back or we look back to the past, right? Mm -hmm. But it's not until the future when we look back on maybe today and say, oh, now I really understand, and even though you don't have all the answers today. So it's kind of hard. It seems like we're playing that dance of, yes, I'm making the best decision best decision that I can at this moment, but you won't really see how those dots are connected until the future, or is that always the case? Trust that you, you can always aim yourself in a particular direction, okay? You ever hear the analogy about driving from New York to Seattle in the dark? No. Okay. I get my little Subaru legacy and I tootle her over to the New York Thruway, and I start driving west. And I can maybe see 50 feet, 100 feet ahead of me with the brights, and I know there's a road. I can't see Seattle, but I trust that Seattle is there. So I keep my eye on the road where I am, and I make sure I make the right turns, the correct turns as I see them, and eventually I get to Seattle. Mm. That's what it is. You don't know what's ahead for you. You don't. But you know where you want to get. I did not know that I was going to end up for my professional life as a professional psychic. I've been an actress, an author, an inspirational speaker, a legal assistant, a video producer, an executive recruiter. But there were always personal qualities that I used in all of those different careers that had molded themselves into a perfect fit as a psychic. So that's an example of spirit knew I wanted to get to Seattle. I didn't see how, but spirit kept saying, all right, this road, this road, this road, this road. And I just drove figuring, all right, when I do these things in my life, I feel really good about it. So I'm going to trust that continuing to do those is going to get me where I want to go. My father, I adored him. He was my best friend, but he wanted me to be a lawyer. No, no, I am not a lawyer type. I am a storyteller. I make people laugh. I make people think of possibilities. That's not a lawyer. So that was a case of where somebody wanted me to take a different route that would have gotten me to Albuquerque. 
No, I kept going in Seattle, even though other people at that time said, you're not going to be happy. I said, thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. I kept going to Seattle. I knew what I was good at and what I loved, and I figured, keep telling that to the universe, and it will get me to where that is where my core is, and it did mm. by the time I was in my late 40s. That's awesome. And, and following that path, it sounds like that was the impetus for the next book, The Psychic Yellow Brick Road. Oh, good. Yes. Um, the Psychic Yellow Brick Road, the subtitle is How to Find the Real Wizards and Avoid the Flying Monkeys. Uh, the, the, way, the reason this book started is many years ago, there was a large psychic expo I was doing up in Toronto, Canada. And there were like 150 booths. And there was a fake gypsy there. Now, there are real gypsies in Roma, but this one, you know, you put on the headscarf and the long skirt and the jingling jewelry and too much makeup, and you do bad Russian accent, and you do candy gypsy. So mm. this woman was walking by her booth, and the fake gypsy runs out, grabs her by the arm. Well, in parlance, this is called hooking, and it's as bad as the other kind of hooking. But we heard her say, you don't have to pay $50, $40. I read your palm for 10. You come with me. Drags the woman into her booth. 20 minutes later, we see that woman leaving, crying hysterically. So a lot of us went over. And apparently, she was told by the gypsies, you have a family curse. How many in your family? Four? You have dog? $50 every family member, 25 per dog. He's small. We can sing. And she told the woman if she didn't burn 400 specially blessed candles at the Roman Catholic Church. I bless real good. Only one dollar candle. Her entire family was going to die in a car accident in two weeks. Wow. No. So oh. this book is a safety manual. It teaches you boot camp, what to look for, what to run from, how to ask questions that will be useful to you, um, when you should walk away has a little bit about spirit guides and angels and mediumship and channeling. And, of course, the last chapter is, can I do this too? Of course you can. We're all wired like the same house plan. You can do what I do. Um, the feedback's been really good. And what I have especially loved, which surprised me, a lot of psychics who read it say, I wish I'd had this book when I was starting to work publicly because I would have known better what to expect. So in that sense, it's a manual both for people who want to have readings themselves or do them. But the tagline in this book is very simple. Good psychic guidance is an art. Don't settle for a forgery. And I don't care if people read that and they never come to me. If that means they can go to, you know, Betsy or Cindy or Bruce and have a good reading with them, then I'm happy. Because when you learn to trust Intuitives, psychics, all boats rise. We're all given a better reputation. When you talk about forgery, and if you're getting a reading, or let's just say you're having communication during a channel, how do you mm -hmm. determine if you're, you're, you want to you wanna speak with uh, Elon Musk, uh, what's his name? Um, Elon Musk. Instead, you're speaking with Elon Trust. How do you right. work through the forgery? I don't channel live people. I channel dead people. Um, when I, or, and there's, a, there's channeling and there's mediumship. Let, let me explain. Mediumship, in my understanding, is specifically talking to your dead Aunt Mabel. Channeling is things like Abraham and Seth and other entities that ain't you. Okay? Mm -hmm. um, when I do mediumship, I get their dog tags. For instance, my father, Jerome Richard Dorkin, who died in 2001 at the age of 80. Notice that tells me nothing, but it gets me right into the energy. Boom. And I will tell you exactly what I'm getting. Um, and as soon as I give you enough information that you would say, yep, that's Aunt Mabel, then I open the door and you can talk to them directly. But it's one of the reasons that I generally don't do mediumship in a gallery form, because I don't censor what I get. And you know, the, the cleanup version of it is there was a biracial, same-gender couple. The black partner had died. Her white widow wanted to speak to her. Now, remember, I grew up a nice kid in Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I have manners. 
Well, what came floating out of my mouth was flawless antibiotics, which I will not put on here and should not come out of this mouth. <laughs> and I, as soon as that was out, I clapped my hand over my face. I was white. I was just, you know, blood drained. I was mortified. The woman in front of me was laughing and crying and nodding because the phrase I used was how her dead wife walked in after business trips every single time. <laughs> but you can't do that on the radio and television. Um, so when I get channel information, going back to Rob's book, it's it's a real good example. He had me channel the higher self and guides for a woman in the second book, which was, uh, there was a chapter on abortion and miscarriages. Well, when the book came out, I read that chapter and I'm thinking, you have got to be, that would not come out of this mouth because it was not what I believed about it. Hmm. It's what I said. So that tells me that I was an accurate channel then because it wasn't coming from what I wanted to say, but what that spirit wanted to convey. Mm-hmm. Sometimes that's how it happens. It ain't what you would say, but it's what needed to be said at that time. Would, it, would you also say that it was going with the flow versus our logical mind trying to filter what's coming through? Oh, yeah. When I do channeling, uh, basically my, my, you know, here and now mind goes upstairs, sits on a park bench and reads a magazine. I will not remember what it says. Um, but that's okay because that way I'm not trying to fix it. At the same time, you know, I'm going to bounce back to mediumship. Don't come in here thinking I have to give you what your grandfather called you in third grade as a nickname because then – you won't be satisfied unless I do it. And that puts pressure on me to perform like a trick pony. Example, my father had this wonderful basso profundo voice. And whenever he called the, uh, his nieces or nephews, the grandchildren, uh, he would always start out with, this is the mysterious stranger. And they'd giggle and hi, Uncle Jerry, and you know, they got their father. But dad has never come in with the mysterious stranger for me. Mm-hmm. There are other things. And that's fine. So if I give you the emotional stuff that's correct, if I give you um, uh, expressions that are correct, if I give you a sentence that that makes sense, don't say, no, you have to say that he called me Pinky Winky because I probably won't do it. (laughs) Have you ever had any instances where, you know, I want to speak with Uncle Jerry, but my neighbor down the street had come through instead because there was a certain message that needed to come through at that time? Occasionally. Occasionally, yeah. How do, how do and, people respond to that because they want to hear from Cousin Jerry? Well, if you're trying to talk to, to Jerry and I give you four things and you go, that sounds like my neighbor, uh, Mrs. Ford, that I'll say, well, we'll try to get Jerry in a minute, but apparently Mrs. Ford wants to talk to you. Are you okay with that? And if you say yes, and I open up to Mrs. Ford, if you say no, I say, Mrs. Ford, I'm really sorry, but I cannot bring you in, and we keep trying to get Jerry. But remember, we are not dial-a-dead. We cannot guarantee we're going to get you dead people. And it doesn't mean that we don't love you, and it doesn't mean that we're not any good. And the, you know, I explain this to people with the analogy of a computer. You sit down at a computer, and it's a good computer, and you're a good computer operator, and you want to get on the Internet, but it's just not happening. Now, does that mean all of a sudden you're not a good computer operator? No. You know how these things work. You're competent. That hasn't changed. Does it mean the computer isn't any good? Not necessarily. If every other function is working, the wiring is sound, and it's plugged in, it's the connection to the Internet that's offline. They don't sit by the phone up there waiting to talk with you. Maybe they're doing a field trip up there. So I'm again later. Using the analogy of the computer, it made me think of uh, spam email. And when you're not – it looks like a a legitimate link that you're going to click on, but when you you click on a site that will open up that you're not supposed to go to or things like that. Ouija boards are spam, let me tell you. Uh, but I always ask people, who here has ever played with a Ouija board? And a lot of hands go up, and, you know, I just look at them and roll my eyes, and I say, my darlings, um, playing with a Ouija board when you don't know how to ground, center, and shield 
It's like opening your door in a strange neighborhood and yelling free beer. You don't know who the hell is out there, but they heard you when you're coming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because, yes. Um, Jane Roberts got set with a Ouija board, but I have had to deal with two hysterical, terrified teenagers who put their hands on a planchet and said, who's there without any guarding whatsoever. And what came through spelled backwards very fast was I have an ax and I'm here to kill you. Now that's not their uncle Danny. And everybody who says, oh, well, Ouija boards in a toy store, how dangerous can it be? I always just look at the audience and say, okay, who here has a child or a grandchild under 10? And, you know, hands go up, and I pick one. What's his name? His name's Billy. All right, fine. Billy comes and says, all right, I got all A's on my uh, report card, and you promised I could pick out any toy I want, and there's what everybody has. And this, you know, so he drags you over. And there's a box that says, my first chainsaw. In the toy department, you got to let him play with it by himself? No. So use a little sense, guys. You know, Tower cards and scrying bowls and crystal balls, they are truly all neutrals. It depends on how you use them, but they are also not play toys mm-hmm. because they have energy that's been plowed into that sort of thing for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's like the river cutting through the rocks. It's how the river will flow. If you know how to ground, center, and shield, which is basic boot camp, you can use those things. But always use it with a little skepticism. If you're just starting this, you have a journal, and you write down, this is what I got. It came true or it didn't come true. I acted on it or I didn't. And you will start seeing when you're accurate, when you're not, and what specific talents you have. Maybe crystal ball isn't for you, but you really resonate with tarot cards. It's all a learning thing. It's all a learning thing. And it can be such fun if you do it right. Right. And, and by doing it right, I, I agree with you with the grounding and shielding. Uh, when you, you set a great example with the Ouija board, what, what's your thoughts on it, it appears that there's a, a great proliferation, at least on Netflix and some of these other streaming services where more than ever, there's a lot of, you know, witchcraft or any type of alternative uh, healing and, and, that, and so on, but they're not giving you a guideline of what you're accessing. So it is kind of yelling out of your house, free beer. What do you mm-hmm. think of, of all the information that, that's out there now? How do you, how do you get through the muddle through all of the uh, muck? What you do is you don't take anything at face value. You do your research. You check and see, you know, does this person have testimonials? Are they any good? What's their background? What's their certifications? Um, Is what they're saying useful? Or is it all about they're the only one that knows? You know, there's a difference between a guru and a mentor. Mm -hmm. A mentor is someone who pushes you a little further than you think you can go, kicks you out of the nest a little before you're ready to go, and sits in the audience applauding you when you get an award for being better at what they do than they are. Perfect example, Meryl Streep thanking her Yale drama teacher as she accepts an Oscar. Okay? Mm-hmm. The drama teacher was a great mentor. A guru, the gurus are the ones that say, I have all the answers. You may get there in your lifetime or you may not, but meanwhile... You know, I've written all these 72 books, and they all say the same thing, but you should read all of them, and now you can come on a cruise where I'm going to tell you the same thing, and maybe you'll learn it there. Eh, wrong answer. Sorry. That's a guru. But I got to go on I gotta go on the cruise. It's an extra $10,000. Mm-hmm. You got that right. A uh, friend of mine, um, what, James Ray, they plowed literally almost $100,000 into James Ray and his special stuff. And then, of course, um, he was convicted of murder because he was using um, a sweat lodge that he had no business using because he was not First Nations and ended up with people dying. So, no. That's why a lot of people, when I say to them, you can do what I do, I'm not special, they look at me like I have three heads because they are not used to being told that. Everybody says, yes, I am the guru, I'm the one who knows, and, you know, yes, I'll teach you. I'll teach you, 
but yes, I will kick you out of the nest. Now go and learn for your own. Go and find your own methodology. I'm not the be-all and end-all, baby. If I was, I'd be, you know, living in Hollywood with a six-bazillion-dollar mansion, which I don't have, so there you are. You know, this is a really good point that we're covering, Corby, because, you know, after this current circumstance changes, there will be that proliferation of mentors versus gurus out there. And mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of sneak old salesmen. Follow me now that Corona's over, so it'll never happen again. And people will forget. I mean, that James Ray, that was over 10 years ago. So we have mm-hmm. short-term memory, and we may repeat some of those same um, issues that happened before. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just something that you really have to watch out about. There is no better business bureau for psychics, which is why you truly have to use your brain when you do this. It, it's great to explore, but always a little bit of a grain of salt. Always get references. Always find out, does this person really know what they are talking about? If you feel put down, if you feel that they think their aura don't stink kind of thing, are you really sure you'll be there? Because the best teachers are so delighted that they get to play with you. They know it's an honor. And they'll work you hard, but they'll tell you when you do it right. They will not keep you hanging as you're never right, you're never right, you're never right. That is, that crushes egos, and it's just not true. Is there a, a difference with um, someone that just goes to fairs and only get 15-minute readings, and you try to bring them along to, like you said, uh, come out of the nest, but they refuse to? Is that something on their level of development? And the other part of that question is, I would put the you know, 99 cent per minute psychics in the same boat. Well, part of it is you get what you pay for. But, mm-hmm. you know, I have done uh, the, the dollar a minute lines myself to see what it was like. And people there, a lot of them just because it's cheap, they just want to tell you their problems for an hour and a half. Mm. Whereas um, the online group I use, which is the best psychics directory, is Bob Olson's people. Um, you're paying a fair amount for that, so you know how to keep it succinct. Mm. Um, I tell people, I have all kinds of different prices on my readings. Don't spend more than you have to. I don't upsell. You know, for instance, um, a soul plane reading with me, it's very expensive. 500 bucks. Why? Because you're getting eight to 10 hours of my time, most of which is spent in deep trance meditation, getting down those lives for you. What people don't realize is each chapter in Rob's books took 40, four zero hours of psychic work. So when you look at that, my rate is actually pretty darn cheap for an entire day with me. But at the same time, I've got what I call the burning question. If all you want to know is one question, and I can get this sucker answered for you in a short time, why would you pay it? You know, here, pay, pay the least amount you can. I'll get you that answer. You still get all my skills. You still get the details, but you're not buying as much as you don't read. I, I will tell people, don't buy an hour's time with me if 30 minutes will do it. You know, I read so fast. I read 1,200 people a year. I'm fast. I'm practical. I don't spend a lot of time with smoke and mirror and playing glurpy purple with angels. <laughs> Only buy what you need. And again, that's unusual for, for psychics too. People say, I've never heard anybody undersell themselves. It's just who I am. Mm. Because I don't want psychics to be a luxury that you, you, you know, mess up your grocery list for. We're, we can be practical, we can be useful, but we're not absolutely necessary in your lives. We're not. The more I can convince you that you can do what I do, the faster you're going to save money, kids. That is probably the best thing ever said, you know, and, and you don't have buyer's remorse. No. No, and you learn to trust yourself more. You learn to believe it more. You, you get the, uh, if you do it right, you get the high that we get. Um, 
being able to reach into the ethers, being able to pull down this information that a lot of people don't realize is there is wonderful. For me to be able to contact closely with people I flew with 100 years ago and know that we go on, um, that feeling is incandescent. And you will get that if you try to learn what we do. You may never want to do it in public for other people, and that's cool. But it's why one of the books I recommend all the time is called Opening to Channel by Sanaya Roman and Dwayne Packer. It's how I learned to do my work 25 years ago, and the book is still as good as it was then. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's a, that's a must-have. That book is a must-have, for sure. And once they get that book and they want to know more information, they want to get in touch with you either for uh, one-on-one or your speaking engagements, how would they do so? Oh, God, you can't not find me. Uh, my website is corbymitlive.com. You can find me on Facebook at firethroughspirit.com. You can find my YouTube channel, Corby Mitlide. You can find me on Instagram and Pinterest and Twitter, all Corby Mitlide. Awesome. You're all over the Internet for sure. Oh, yeah. We can definitely get in touch with you. And with that, you have been, been in tune to another episode of Intrinsic Motivation from a Homie's Perspective. This is Hamza. Corby, it was a pleasure speaking with you over the last hour, and I definitely want to stay in touch. You bet. I had a great time. Thank you. Thank you.